we're continuing a series uh, titled That You May Believe. It's a series in the Gospel of John, as you can see. And we're journeying through the entire gospel, uh, remembering that the claims of Christianity are historic in nature, not just ideological or philosophical or kind of spiritual in the way of being fluffy and out there somewhere. The, the claims of Christianity are historical in nature. Christmas and Easter make claims to history. And as such, those claims are things we have to grapple with. We can't just let them lie, right? We need, we need to engage them. And the Apostle John was quite gracious and, and forthright in telling us why he wrote his gospel. We've been reviewing this every week toward the end of John's gospel. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So the Apostle John wrote this gospel so that all of us might believe that Jesus was who he claimed to be, that we might turn to him, place our trust in him, and have life in his name. That's, that's the purpose of the book we're studying. And through this series, we're holding in mind that, that reality of responding to Jesus with trust. Now, there was a pivot at chapter five in the book. Chapter five uh, uh, turned toward uh, Jesus focusing more on the, the festivals of Judaism. Chapter five revolved around the Sabbath. Chapter six was largely organized around the Passover. Chapter seven around the Feast of Tabernacles. Today, we're in chapter eight, kind of the second portion of it. And uh, we're back at the Feast of Tabernacles where Jesus makes his second great I am statement. It's I am the light of the world today. Uh, so let's listen to the scripture, John 8, verses 12 through 20. Hear the word of the Lord. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him. Here, you are appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid because I know where I came from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I came from or where I am going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am one who testify on my own behalf. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Then they asked him, where is your father? You do not know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, then you would know my father also. Jesus spoke all these words while teaching in the temple courts near where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Paul.
We know from experience that the world is walking in darkness and that light is our supreme need. That was Archbishop William Temple who served as leader of the Anglican Church during the first couple years of World War II. Listen to it again. We know from experience that the world is walking in darkness and that light is our supreme need. I mean, that truth certainly was not limited to the dark days of World War II. We're experiencing the darkness of war now in our world. You and I experience the reality every day, and we don't have to look far, do we, to see that the world is walking in darkness. Choose your depressing headline. Human trafficking, drug cartels, systemic injustices, unjust war, crushing poverty, food insecurity, and the list goes on, and it's endless, isn't it? We know from experience that our world is walking in darkness. And so, we know from experience as well that light is our supreme need. I mean, with that supreme need obvious to all, marketers and gurus alike try to monetize it. And you've, you've sensed this. If you go to Amazon and, and search a light for life or light for living, something, it's amazing what comes up. There's a few Christian things, but largely you see this. Light on life, an introduction to the astrology of India. Light on life, the yoga journey to wholeness. The light we give, how seek wisdom can transform your life. Or take a moment to consider advertisements for automobiles. You know what I mean. Think about the way a car commercial looks and and feels. Those commercials are not promising simply a, a mechanical machine that runs and gets you from point A to point B. The promise is for a better life, more light. See, marketers aren't dumb. They know that we live in a world walking in darkness and that light is our supreme need. And, and they aim at that, right? If you're in marketing, no offense intended. I was a business major in, in, uh, in my undergrad and I had quite a, a tit for tat with my marketing professor one time. Yeah, marketing stuff we need is good, but creating need, that's a whole different conversation. Uh, think about ads that you see for other things. And just, just put on the glasses, just for a week, and look how many of them are pers- pr- positioning their product as something that provides light, a, a brighter world, you know, a, a better day. Or think of songs that name this reality. You, you probably have some profound ones. I found this with a quick Google search. It's a techno dance hit. Here are the lyrics. So here I go, I have got my back to the wind and I will fly higher than I have ever been. I'll follow all my dreams, my destiny is waiting for me. I'm on my way, heading for a sunny blue sky. All my past worries, I'll leave them behind. Now it is time for the beginning of a brighter day. It's a brighter day. Our need for light is evident everywhere. And we need light to live, we we need light to illuminate 
how to deal with other human beings. I mean, I love you all, but sometimes you're hard. We need light as to how to grapple with our ambitions and appetites. We need light as to how to handle money wisely. We need light on just how to live a good and decent life in this world. How do you do that? Where do you look for guidance, understanding, for light? We need light for everything. Now, if, you, if you were here last week, we talked about uh, Jesus at the water ceremony at the Feast of Tabernacles. If, if, you, if you weren't, I'm not going to repeat the whole thing. Uh, but it was about Jesus uh, lifting a very powerful image from a ceremony in Judaism and claiming to be the ultimate fulfillment of that image in, in very dramatic fashion, if you recall. I mean, the same thing is going on in this, in this text. The Feast of Tabernacles remembered uh, uh, largely God's provision for the Israelites while they were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years after, uh, after the Exodus. Specifically, God provided food, water, and guidance. Remember that manna? Water from the rock and the, the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. Here's what the Exodus said about those pillars. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. And at the Festival of Tabernacles, much like the water ceremony, though again, not quite as dramatic, there was a tradition of remembering that God provided light when his people were wandering in the wilderness. God provides light when we feel like we're in the wilderness. And the tradition was that near the treasury in the temple area, which was in the court of the women, in the different courts of the temple there, a whole bunch of lamps were put up. I mean, all sorts of lamps. And every evening of the festival, all these lamps were lit. And evidently, there were so many of them that the light they produced lit up the entire temple mount over uh, the, the great walls of the temple mount area and it even illuminated some surrounding houses. So you gotta think, like before electricity, that meant there were a lot of lamps, right? This, this was a well-orchestrated spectacle with crystal clear meaning. God gives light in our darkness. Now, it's not hard to imagine Jesus standing in the temple area one of those nights of the festival after sunset when the full light given by the lamps was evident to all. And then, you know, the strong, loud voice of that Galilean rabbi rang out again over the temple mount. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Again, I mean, just like the water ceremony, Jesus taking this image from a festival celebration and and turning it to say, hey everybody, this is who I am. This is what I've come to do. The way all these lamps light up the darkness I will light up your life like that. 
And, and again, just like the promise of water in the Old Testament, the Old Testament is full of all these promises for light. There, there are a gazillion of them. Here's just one. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. See, Jesus was saying, I am that light, that light from God for you. I mean, Jesus' entire statement was staggering, just staggering. Uh, just starting with the words, I am, alone was, was staggering. If you're less familiar with the Bible, what Jesus was referring to there was a time back in Exodus when uh, Moses went up on Mount Sinai and God gave the, the law to Moses and then God said, hey, take this back to the people and, and tell them about it. And uh, well, uh, here's what happened. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you and they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. So even beginning with the words I am, you know, Jesus was taking upon himself the very name of God. And that would have stunned the hearers. But he continued on. He said, I am the light of the world. Of the whole world. That's stunning as well. And not just a light, but the light of the world. It's an exclusive claim. The light of the world, which preempts all other lesser lights. And the light is singular, meaning Jesus was saying that he is the exclusive provider of real light for the whole world. But he doesn't stop there. He continues on. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Whoever follows Jesus, meaning whoever places their trust in him and, and follows him like a disciple followed a rabbi in the ancient world, you know, becoming a student, a learner. That's all the word, the, the biblical word translated disciple means. In Greek, it's methetes. It simply means a student or learner. We're just students of Jesus. We study his life to see how he lived because we hope to be like him. What this is saying is whoever follows Jesus becomes a student of the rabbi and will never walk in darkness. See, to Jesus, walking in darkness meant being left with no guidance as to what God might want us to do in any particular situation. Of course, we experience uncertainty. We all do, almost every day. But followers of Jesus have scripture and the Holy Spirit, which taken together are our pillar of cloud by day and pillar of fire by night. We have not been left without guidance, right? The promise is not for absence of uncertainty, but that we will not walk in, in darkness, being completely unaware of what God might desire. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now this is super interesting. In the Greek, the last phrase, but will have the light of life, if you translate it literally, would read like this, but will have the light of the life. 
not just of some generic kind of life, but you will have the light of the life. Not, not those other kinds of life parading around in this world as real life, but the kind of life that is really life. And this brings to mind the Apostle Paul coaching his apprentice Timothy as to how to present spiritual things to people who have great financial wealth. The wealth isn't bad, but the temptation to trust one's own wealth is very bad. We trust Jesus, not our wealth. And what Paul said to Timothy was, uh, you know, teach, coach, lead them spiritually so that people with great financial wealth may take hold of the life that is really life. Not the fake life being offered by the wealth. Because that's a sham. Listen to what Frederick Beekner, a commentator, says on this. The deepest longing of every living being is to live and to live in the fullest and most authentic way possible. Jesus now promises to give the wisdom, the light, to live this real life. In saying, I'm, I am the light of the world, Jesus named our supreme need and claimed to be the only one who can give the real light we need to live the life he's offering. It's a staggering claim. Just a staggering claim. And, and the, the Pharisees immediately call him out because you know they know the law and the Jewish law uh, necessitated that any claim uh, need to be substantiated by at least two witnesses. So here's what they said. The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are appearing as your own witness. Your, your testimony is not valid. There, there's no corroborating witness, Jesus. Come on, you, you expect us to take this uh, at your word? Everybody knows that when a person testifies on their own behalf, their testimony is a little suspect because they have a vested interest in making themselves look good or, you know, everybody knows that. So how do you expect us to believe you? I mean, it's a valid, it's a valid question, right? Uh, so, so Jesus explains. Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I am going. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. So to counter their complaint that, hey, Jesus, you're serving as your one and only witness here, Jesus makes two arguments. The first argument, uh, put in my words, is kind of like this. Hey, even if I for my, testify for myself, it, it's good. Well, okay. <laughs> I mean, from the standpoint of human logic, that, that isn't a very strong argument. I mean, never, never fly in court, right? But in this case, it happens to be true. If Jesus testifies on his own behalf, his testimony really is good. But the second argument he makes should stop us in our tracks. He said, I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. See, Jesus was appealing to another witness he understood to be present in that moment and speaking. Well, this is interesting. See, Jesus was convicted that when he spoke, God the Father 
was present and speaking by the Holy Spirit. And that the Father, by the Spirit, was speaking an affirmation of what Jesus said, a kind of seconding witness, affirming what Jesus claimed about himself in the hearts and minds of those hearing his claims. And so we believe that whenever Jesus is proclaimed according to scripture, there is a divine doubler at work. That's a phrase from Frederick Buechner in his commentary on John who makes this point masterfully. The divine doubler is the Holy Spirit who affirms, accredits, and validates in the hearts of others any faithful testimony we make to Jesus. So be encouraged. (laughs) Whenever you seek to share your faith with others, now again, there's a difference between sharing our faith, speaking of what we've experienced of Jesus, and trying to manipulate people to do something. We're not talking about trying to manipulate people to do something. We're simply talking about sharing our faith in the way a witness does. All I statements, right? I've seen this. I've experienced this. I've come to learn that this is true. Whenever we share in that kind of way, seasoning our conversation with salt, remember the biblical mandate, we're not speaking alone. We're not the only ones talking. I don't know how you've experienced it. I don't have all the words to describe it. I feel like the power of the Spirit is sometimes layered in with my words. I feel it at times doing what I'm doing right now. And that's God. That's not John. But when there is any faithful testimony given to Jesus, the Father is there by the Spirit adding his seconding witness to the truth of what is being said. But but back to Jesus' claim and, and the beef the Pharisees had with it. You know, his claim to be the light of the world, it seems the real problem was not the lack of adequate witnesses. It was that us humans were judging by inadequate standards. And look at what Jesus said. You judge by human standards, I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. You judge by human standards, or or literally, you judge according to the flesh. This, this original language word in, in the Greek flesh, sarx, it, it means um, a humankind with a focus on the fallen human nature. The brokenness of humanity, right? So what Jesus is saying is, y- you judge by broken and corrupt standards. That's the real problem here. Or, or less formally and put as a question, how can you judge if your judger is broken? Really? And that is exactly the dilemma. Really the whole point at issue here. Listen to how missionary Leslie Newbigin puts the question. What if this ordered world of human experience is in fact a world turned in upon itself and therefore a world of darkness? When the light shines in the darkness, it cannot prove itself to be light except by shining. And how can I know that it is the light, the light? I have only the testimony of Jesus. This testimony, 
necessarily places me at a point of decision, of crisis, which I cannot evade. I must either accept this testimony or else reject it because it is not corroborated by any witnesses from the world of human experience. And here we are again. The entire Gospel of John, written that we may believe, confronting us over and over again with the claims of Jesus. See, Jesus' claim to be the light of the world places us, you and me, at a point of decision we cannot evade. There's a very real battle uh, within between light and darkness, and, and the tension is not new. I mean, John named it back in chapter three. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead because, instead of light because their deeds were evil. I hope you've spent some time praying through this verse for you. If you haven't, you should. Because all of us have got a little piece of this in us. I mean, we all, we all have a problem. We, we've all got a kind of hiding reflex. Uh, a kind of cockroach instinct that prefers darkness to light. And when real light shines, sometimes we want to hide, climb back under the rock, get to the dark where it's safe. Why? Well, because you know you as well as I know me. And we've done stuff, said stuff, thought stuff that ought not be done, said, or thought. And sometimes it's easier, far less uncomfortable, to let all that remain in the dark. Kind of gets back to Jesus' question to that paralyzed man at the pool of Bethesda. Do you want to get well? Or would you rather remain in the dark? If you've struggled with this, like I did, because I didn't have anybody talk to me about this when I was growing up. Uh, so, fifth kids, you're in here today. Let me just say this to you. Sometimes your life is going to feel weird, and you'll feel like you don't get it, but everybody else does. That's not true. Every single human being struggles with this. Moms and dads, teachers, pastors, elders, everybody struggles with this. We're all kind of broken some way. There's something off. But that's what Jesus came to help us with. So don't worry. You're not the only one with this hiding Reflex. We've all got it. It has plagued human beings across time. And it got its start way back in the garden right after Adam and Eve choose to depart from God. Here, here's a piece of that story. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. The hiding reflex. 
But I've got really, really good news. We don't have to live all of our days driven only by that hiding reflex, trying to stay out of the light and get back to the dark. Right? Jesus came to help us with that, really. We don't have to hide anymore. When we, when we begin to sense God, encounter God, think about God, we don't have to run away, go back into the dark room. Right? We can engage. We, we don't have to evade the light until someday we feel like we've made ourselves presentable enough to open the door and kind of come out into the light. The light has come to us. His name is Jesus. And he's good. He's good. We need not be afraid. See, Jesus claims about himself put us at a point of decision, of, of crisis sometimes, which we cannot evade. This is our crisis of decision. Now, if you find yourself drawn to Jesus, desiring to say yes to Jesus, but you've never done that before and don't know what to do, here's what to do. Acknowledge your need before God. You can do that with another person or just in the quiet of your own bedroom or in the shower or wherever. Acknowledge your need to God. Confess your sin to God. Everything that you can remember that has weighed you down, which causes great shame in you, just pour it out. Speak it out loud. And then say yes to as much of God as you understand right now in Jesus. And ask God to help you to make you part of his family and to give you his Holy Spirit. And again, there's no magic formula prayer. I'm not saying that. But these are, these are the simple steps that human beings can take to turn back toward God. And if you've never done that, I raise my hand with many here to say, you can. It, it's a better way to live. It's not a perfect way to live. Much, much better way to live when you don't feel like you have to run from the light all the time. Jesus is the light of the world and the only one who can give light. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen, amen. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. Uh, indeed, your word is a light, a, a lamp unto our path and a light unto our way. Thank you that you have not left us without guidance, but through scripture and your spirit, you guide us by day and by night in the best of times and in the worst of times, on the mountaintop and in the valley. God, help us. Help us understand how you're getting our attention through the scripture today. Help us to discern what it is that you're saying to us and help us know what to do about that. Uh, thank you, Lord Jesus. We love you and we pray in your name. Amen.